Um, I'm going to be preaching uh, from Mark chapter 2. Uh, Mark is one of the four Gospels. It's a book that's found within the Bible, and the part that it's found in is in the New Testament. And if you haven't brought your Bible today, that's all good. We're actually going to have the Scriptures come up on the screen. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to read it, and then well, we're going to dive into it. It says this in Mark chapter 2, And when he returned, Jesus, to Capricornium after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could no longer get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes, another word that's used for scribes is Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man, Jesus, speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose, and immediately he picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I think that's the appropriate response to a story like this. And the thing is that we've got to remember is that, you know, for us today, we we, we say that this is a story, but this, this is a real moment. This happened. And what I want to do today is I actually want to spend some time uh, unpacking this story, uh, really allowing ourselves to kind of get into the shoes of the people that were there. Uh, there's kind of five characters in this story. There's the crowd. There's the friends of the paralytic man. There's a paralytic man. There's the Pharisees. And there's Jesus. And I want you, if you can, just to begin to picture what this room, what this event, what this moment may have been like. Uh, Because we're going to do that because this story actually asks us a very important question. And our answer to this question is, is, is of great importance because it affects the way we live and outwork our walk with Jesus. This story screams so many things, but there is actually one overarching question that this story prompts us to ask. And that's what we want to dive into this morning. Uh, We're going to go again through verse by verse. This is truly a remarkable story. Let's read verse 1 again. And when he returned to Capricornium after some days, it was reported that he was at home. If you actually flick over to Mark chapter 1, the reason that Jesus called this place his home was actually because it was Peter's house. And so Jesus had, as it says, he's come back to Capricornium and come back. He'd been out. He'd been preaching. If you read Mark chapter 1, he'd been baptized. 
He had gone out. He'd actually previously casted out a demon in the, in the very previous story. And then he comes back home to Peter's house. And so you can just imagine uh, Mrs. Peter, all these people are suddenly in her house. And it's not just a few people, it's a lot of people. And, uh, you know, back in ancient Israel, uh, it's not, you know, it's not a five by two kind of dwelling with a kitchen and, you know, a nice island bench and, you know, living room and an entertaining room and pergola. No, it's a very tight space. It's a very, very tight space. And so you can kind of imagine what Mrs. Peter's thinking about all of this. You know, Peter, Jesus, you didn't tell me that this was going to happen. I didn't prepare any food or anything like this. You know, like for those who maybe are hospitable, you're probably thinking through all of these things right now in this moment. There's a massive crowd in a small dwelling. And the Bible says that there's no room, that there's not even room in the door. There's not even like a crack for you to kind of, to kind of look through. And we read on in verse 2, And they gathered so many together that there was no more room, not even at the door. Why? Because Jesus was preaching the word to them. You know, the message of Jesus, the truth of God's word, is a powerful truth. It's a beautiful truth. So much so that people flocked to hear what Jesus had to say. And we're only going to be unpacking one part of that today. And so we're introduced to these new characters, verse 3. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And so here we see these four men. We don't know who they are. We don't know their names. All we know is that it's four really good friends, four really good mates. These friends, notice this, they hear that Jesus is in town. What it can begin to lead us to think is that maybe they saw Jesus' first tour of Capricornium. Maybe they saw a few things. Maybe they heard a few things. And they've, they've now heard he's back. And their first thought is not to try and cram themselves into the home. But their first thought is, we need to go get our friend. We, we need to go get our paralytic friend, our, our, our friend who is lame, our friend who cannot function, cannot walk. We need to bring this person to Jesus. You know, today in our, in, in our society, and of course it, it needs to get even better, but we've done so much in order to help people who have disabilities and, and all these sorts of things, which are, which are tragic and horrible. But back in those days, it was way, way worse. And you pretty much were totally reliant on good people. You, you had no ability. There was no sort of government funding or, or anything like that. You were totally reliant on, you would hope that your family would treat you well. If not that, you would hope that you would have good friends. And here we see this man had some good friends and brought them to Jesus. Notice that their first thought is when they hear that Jesus has come to town, we need to bring our friend. We must. We must bring our friend to Jesus. We read on in verse 4. It says this, And when they, uh, and they verse 3, and they carried, uh, they carried the man to Jesus. Verse 4, And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. Now begin to think about what Mrs. Peter is really thinking. That this, this roof... Is, uh, is, is getting removed. And, you know, in, in our modern context, you're like, are they using a saw? Are they, you know, just like a hand saw? Is it a couple of drills? 
you know, the roof that most ancient Israelite houses had was, you know, kind of made of clay and, and sticks. Um, and, and, and it wouldn't have been too hard to remove, but it's still a nuisance. It's still very inconvenient. It would have ruined all the food that Mrs. Peter had prepared, all the dust, all the sand. And it would have been a total interruption to what Jesus had to say. And in this context, in an oral context, if you wanted to understand something, if you wanted to know something, you really didn't have access to books or or to the scrolls. When someone with authority came to town to teach, it was sit down, be silent, don't interrupt. It's, It's listen. But these men have the audacity to not only ruin someone's property, but to interrupt Jesus mid his teaching. But we see no negative response from Jesus. We only see a positive response. And what this actually tells us is that Jesus longs for people to be around him, longs for people to interrupt him, longs for people to talk to him. And they encountered some obstacles, the obstacles of people, they couldn't get him through. It kind of shows the attitude of the time that people weren't even willing to move to allow this person to enter the house. So the friends take matters into their own hands. They remove the roof. They lower the man down into the room. You know, sometimes when you are wanting to see change, when you're wanting to see some sort of uh, change or or, or positive outcome come through a circumstance, you're going to face obstacles. And you've actually literally sometimes got to break through. (laughs) literally. You've actually got to push. You've actually got to begin to intercede. You've got to begin to do things that you wouldn't commonly do in order to see that breakthrough come. come. And then it says this in verse 5. I love this. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, capture that. Not man, not person. Again, class system. Jesus turns to the man and says, son, But then he says something a bit confusing. He says, your sins are forgiven. And you can just imagine these four friends. Have you ever invited someone to church? Maybe you did today. And you're like, man, Sam, I hope you don't cook this, you know. I hope you don't say something dumb or untheological, all right. You're sitting there like nervous. You're like, man, Sam, don't don't say. These four men bring someone to Jesus. And they're like, he's going to heal him. He's going to do it. He's going to, son. Like, oh, yes, your sins are, What? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Jesus, can you not see that he needs some help? He needs some, he needs some more help than that. Jesus responds and says, your sins are forgiven. Why did Jesus say this? One of the things that we need to know when it comes to Jesus, no words are mistaken. Nothing he says is flippant. You know, at times I just say things, I'm like, what did I even say? That's not Jesus. Every word had purpose. Every word had meaning. And everything that is contained within this book is there on purpose, is there to teach us something. So what is it? There are three reasons why Jesus said this. First reason is because of prior thinking. In the Jewish context, if you had a disability, if you had some sort of illness or or sickness, the Jews had actually concluded that you would not get healed unless your sins were forgiven. And so Jesus, understanding this context, understanding where he was in in, in the span of human existence, in the culture that he was in, one of the first things he said to that crowd, to that audience, was that, son, your sins are forgiven. The second reason Jesus said this is because of priority. First reason, prior thinking. Second reason, priority. 
when it comes to the heart of God and when it comes to Jesus, of course, He wants to heal our sickness, our illnesses, and all the myriad of things that we go through in life. But Jesus's, the Father's priority is that your sins are forgiven. That's His priority. Above every illness, above every disease, don't hear me wrongly this morning, God wants to heal anything. And I have faith for that this morning. But heaven's priority is first that the thing that disconnects us from God, the thing that came and distorted the, the perfect relationship that heaven had with humanity, God's priority is actually not that you would be healed first physically or emotionally or mentally, but first you'd be healed spiritually. This is heaven's priority. And the third reason Jesus said this is because of power. And what I mean by that is this, Jesus in this moment, he's actually revealing to the whole room his power. He's revealing to them his authority. And this is the question that the Pharisees and the crowd began to ask. Who? <laughs> they began to question it in their hearts. Jesus began to prove his power, prove his authority. And the scribes, as it's described, were triggered by this. Let's, let's read it again. Verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? We're going to pick up on this verse a little bit later. But what I want to draw out from this moment is verse 8. Watch this. And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they question within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Jesus didn't hear in the open air that the Pharisees were questioning this. Again, Jesus proving his authority, approving his godlike ability, he actually sees the thoughts within their heart. And without the room even hearing the thoughts verbally, Jesus calls it out. So let's just pause. There's a bit of tension here in this story. Number one, Peter, Mrs. Peter, their house is getting trashed. They weren't able to prepare for this. The roof's kind of cut open. There's dust everywhere. They probably spent all their time sweeping out the dust. No vacuums back then. And now some people have the audacity to bring someone of a lower class into the room where we want to sit and hear with a man of authority. And then Jesus has the audacity to not heal the man, but to heal his sins. And the friend's like, what is going on here? And then Jesus takes it a step further and has the audacity to call out what is going on in their hearts. And you can imagine the, the, the sense of the, the kettle boiling within these Pharisees, their, their reaction to what Jesus is calling out in them. And he continues on in verse 9 where he says this, which is easier, catch this, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. We'll pick up from verse 9 later. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. I've got a guest with me here this morning. Uh, Mr. Judah, can you come out from your hiding hole? From your hiding place? Where is he? He's coming out. Oh, there he is. Come out here. Let's give a hand to Judah. Come on. 
Let's give him, let's give him extra. Come on, let's really give him a clap. He, he's, he hates this. This is, this is discipleship right here. <laughs> Judah's a tradie, as you can probably tell and see that. But when Judah walked in this morning, he wasn't wearing this. He was wearing, well, he had like a Street X shirt, didn't he? Yeah, he's this guy, he knows, what, he knows what's up. And, but now I asked him, because, you know, you're going to go to work tomorrow. Is this ready for tomorrow? Yeah, I'm not sure about that. But anyway, we'll work that out later. But here we are. Here's Judah. And he has a high-vis shirt on here. Have any of you seen, uh, maybe on social media, these people that try and sneak into places and try and get into venues or events and all that sort of stuff? Or people just wanting to kind of trick people? You've seen them, haven't you? You've thought about it, haven't you? You always do, you always do it. Oh, anyway, that's a whole other message for another day. But uh, the reason I got Judah up here this morning is because Judah walked in with a kind of a, you know, a, a nice shirt, a good shirt. But now he's put on a shirt with power. There's actually some weight. There's actually some authority that's carried with this shirt. And what these people actually do is they walk in with this shirt and also with some sort of ladder that they literally had bought five minutes ago from Bunnings. And they walk into a movie cinema and say, hey, I'm here to fix it. Oh, yeah, yeah, go for it. And they'll walk in, sit in the movie, not pay for the movie. And there's no questions asked because... The high vis carries weight. It's, it's, it's not the material. It's, it probably wasn't even made in Australia. It was probably $5 at Collie, right? But this thing has a value that no money can buy. And if you're naughty, and don't do this, and if you're naughty, you could actually probably see some free movies or go to a free concert or something like that. Let's give a hand to Judah. Let's give him up. You know, one of the people in our church, they're, they're a police officer. And, you know, at home, normal clothes, normal guy. But as soon as he puts on the uniform, as soon as he puts on the badge, suddenly everything changes. Suddenly it communicates that there's an authority, that, that there's a sense of that it's not just any old person, that this person actually has the ability, the authority to, to do things, of course, within the law, but they actually could change your life if you encountered them for the wrong reason if you know what I'm saying. Like, you don't, you don't want that to happen in your life. You know, we've unpacked this story in this short moment. There are so many things that we can take out of this story. One of the things we could take out of it is that everyone needs good friends to help them in their time of need. We all have a responsibility to bring... Oh, look, he's got his normal shirt back on now. I don't even know who you are anymore. We all have a sense of responsibility to bring people to Jesus, no matter how hard or difficult that might be that sometimes we need to push through in faith, that we need to not give up on bringing people to Jesus. He has a good message. And as we've seen, a message of not just healing the now, but healing the later, healing the real issue, even when there's obstacles. Another thing that we could draw out from this story is that Jesus longs to forgive and heal people both internally and externally. And one of the things that we can also pick out from this story is when Jesus says, pick up your mat, you pick up your mat. <laughs> and you go, and you leave. All these are true. And maybe you've heard, if you've been in church for a while, maybe you've heard a sermon about one of these things. All of these are true. All of these are important. But really what this story, what this moment that Jesus had with a crowd, four friends, a paralytic, and some Pharisees, what this story is actually really about, what it is ultimately about, it's about who Jesus is. And that is that He is God that He is the Word made flesh, that He is divine. It's actually Jesus coming out to the world and saying, this is who I am. 
Scholars say that this is Jesus' first conflict with the religious leaders, his first one. And you can see that because the reaction isn't so heavy. And as it goes on in the story, the reaction within the Pharisees starts to get heavier and heavier. But the other thing as well, because Jesus is God, because he's the Son of God, because he is the Word made flesh, because he is Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus has authority. We're saying that this morning. Jesus has dominion. Jesus has powers and authorities that we will never have and never possess. Yet we can access them in his name. And it's not us, but it's him. This is what this story is trying to teach us. And watch this. The genius of Jesus in this story is that he used this moment of healing a paralytic man, but also rewarding the faith of the friends. And he leaves everyone glorifying God, all while confounding the Pharisees by revealing and proving who he truly was, God, and what he possesses, ultimate authority. Let's go back to verse 4 again. Watch this. I want you to, we're going to read a couple of verses. I want you to see where, where, where Jesus flips the script. Everything's going well. Not for Mrs. Peter, but Jesus is talking to her. Everything's going well. Let's read again from verse 4. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they'd made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. That statement right there is where Jesus took over. Where he took control. What, what the obvious thing was, heal the guy. But Jesus, knowing who's in the room, is like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to flip the script here. I'm going to take control of this moment. I'm going to teach some people today, not with attitude like I'm saying right now. But Jesus is like, this is my time. This is my moment. I'm going to reveal who I am. I told you that we would go back to verse 9. Let's read it again, verse 9. Because Jesus says a statement that triggers a reaction from the religious leaders. And then he calls it out, verse 9, and he's concluding why he wanted to do this in the first place. He says this, Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? It's an interesting question. Have a think about it. Which is easier? If you were asked to heal someone, to pray for someone, what would be easier? Would it be easier to say, ah, your sins are forgiven? Or would it be easier to say, rise, get up and walk? Which one would be easier? The easier option would be, your sins are forgiven. That's the easier one. Why? Because if you say, rise, pick up your mat and walk, and it doesn't happen, you're in (laughs) doo-doo. And those things where you sit and you invite a friend, you're like, I hope the pastor doesn't do something silly today. That's what that moment could be like. It's actually easier to say your internal things are healed, not your external things. Jesus knows this. This is why he asked the question. But then again, let's pick it up in verse 10. But, Jesus' intention is being revealed now. But, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He turns to the paralytic man. He chooses the harder option. And he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
And what Jesus does here is absolutely astounding. He does both the visible miracle, but he also does the invisible miracle. And the reason he does the visible miracle is to prove that he has the authority and the ability to heal the invisible miracle. Are you with me? If you saw someone get physically healed, you would be like, whoa. Maybe a bit more than that. You'd be like, whoa. And I've seen it. I've prayed for people. I've seen people be healed. I've seen people go and get test results from doctors and see that it's legitimately healed. And to be honest, you're amazed, but you're left going trembling in, in the awe and the fear of God that there actually is a higher power that has a higher authority and has a higher ability to do things that are higher than us, higher than our ways. And Jesus, so genius, instead of saying, be healed, he says, your sins are forgiven because he knows what is in the hearts of the Pharisees. And he does everything. He rewards the faith of the friends. He heals the man, but he also calls out what is in their heart and reveals himself to the world. And so this morning, before we get ahead of ourselves and start pointing the finger at the Pharisees, this story asks us the same question today. And the question is this. If you were completely honest, do you truly believe in the authority of Jesus? Do you truly believe that he can turn anything around? Do you truly believe that he is seated at the right hand of the Father and has the desire, has the authority, has the ability to turn anything around. That's what this story is ultimately asking us. This is what Jesus was asking them. Do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe who I claim to be? This was Jesus' coming out party. I, this is me. I'm God. I have ultimate power. I have ultimate authority. And here's the thing. Our answer to this question is so important because it affects the way, it affects the way we view and it affects the way we walk out our relationship with Jesus. Let me illustrate this. Maybe you've been wondering why the heck there's a ladder on stage. It's a, just a nice, beautiful ladder. I like having it on stage. No, it's, it's Matt's ladder. It's a trade his ladder. It's, it's seen some time. And we've got a chair here. When Jesus described, when the Bible describes what the Pharisees were doing, the Pharisees were sitting and questioning within themselves what is happening. Verse 6, the Pharisees sat and questioned within themselves what, what, how, how has he got the authority? How has he got the ability to say this? And so what this chair represents is actually the seat of doubt, the seat of doubt. And hey, I'm not saying that we don't question God. There's actually a true and proper place to wrestle with who God is. Because if we don't wrestle with the amazingness of God, then he kind of ceases to be God. And we become God because we know everything. There's always seasons of, of questioning, trying to understand. But the difference is this. This ladder represents faith today within the context of this story. Because we know the men face some challenges, face some 
opposition, face some obstacles. And instead of bringing their friend and seeing the crowd, they didn't choose to sit in doubt, sit in self-pity, oh, we can't do it. They chose faith. And they chose, you know, we're actually going to activate our belief in who Jesus is. Remember, they heard that Jesus had come back. So that tells me they'd heard things, or maybe they'd seen things. They'd heard things from friends of friends, whatever. That They knew that Jesus, they were like, our response is that we're going to bring our friend to Jesus. So they knew that he had the authority. And instead of sitting in doubt, they chose to activate their faith and reach up to heaven and say, you know what, I'm going to activate my faith. I'm going to believe that God has the ultimate authority. And so I'm saying all of this to bring this whole thing full circle. The true answer to the question, do you honestly believe that Jesus has all power, all authority, that he can turn any situation around, that he has his good intentions for you in your life, is actually not proven in your words, it's proven in your actions. And if we sit in the seat of doubt, when we face obstacles, when we face situations, when we're worried about this and when we're worried about that, rather than activating our faith, it actually answers the question for us, whether we truly, honestly, wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is who he says he is. It'll be reflected in your prayer life, that your prayer life will either be null and void, or it'll be helpless. And, and again, there's space to just cry out to God. But, but the prayers of, oh God, would you? I'm not sure if you will. I, I, it actually communicates you don't truly know who God is that he has ultimate authority, ultimate ability, he has your best interest in heart. There is nothing limiting him. Instead of, you know what? I know who my God is. I know my God is good. I know my God has my best intention at heart. Maybe this is a tough season situation. Maybe my kids this, my work that, this relationship there, whatever is going on, we can't sit in the seat of doubt because that's going nowhere. But in actual fact, we need to face the obstacles and activate our faith. So proving that we believe who Jesus says that he claims to be. You know, a story in the Bible that actually so well puts this moment of tension that we face in our life is Peter walking on the water. At first, Peter's like, what is this ghost that's walking on the water? It's Jesus. Jesus calls out Peter, says, it is I. Peter, come out. Peter knows that voice. He knows who that person is. And he says, if it's you, Lord, call me out. Come out. Peter takes a step, maybe two, maybe three. We're not sure. We know that he had a moment of faith. But then the Bible says Peter began to look at the waves, began to look at the obstacles, and then he began to seek, sink. And the truth of that story is that if Peter just kept his focus on Jesus, and not worried about his surroundings and stayed in faith rather than doubting that Jesus was actually the one that was performing this miracle for him, he would have been able to fully step into that miracle that Jesus is wanting to, him to step into. James puts it like this, James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Other translations say that you reach maturity. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, this is a promise. Let him ask God 
who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And catch this, but let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I don't know if James was having a cheeky jab at Peter when he was writing this passage. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If the team could come up and join me this morning, that would be awesome. As I said before, this story, there's so much within this passage that explains the heart of God to us today. The need for us to bring people to Jesus. The fact that Jesus is a healer. The fact that Jesus is a restorer. The fact that he has a good message that people would flock to draw near to him. But what this passage, what this story is actually ultimately asking us is a very true and pointed question. Do we truly believe who Jesus claims to be? And the answer to that question is not reflected in our words. Of course, confess, declare, pray in faith. But it is actually truly reflected in our actions. What's our first response when pain, suffering or difficulties come? Is it to start to try and do it in our own strength? Doubting the power of God? Or is it to start to pray? Say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to activate my faith. I'm going I'm I'm to believe that you can turn this around. Of course, with wisdom, go and do a practical solution. But don't sit here in doubt, unsure. These are the two attitudes that are represented in this story. The Pharisees doubted, but the men came in faith. They'd heard what Jesus had done before. They believed that Jesus, that, that he had a desire and a want to heal people. They had that faith. Some of us here this morning, we need to get out of doubt and we need to lean into faith. The complete trust, the the complete belief that Jesus has the answer, that he has the ability, the authority, the dominion. Nothing is too hard for Jesus. Impossible is an earthly word. It's not in the dictionary in heaven. It's a word we use to explain how we are capped and limited, as Hannah so beautifully pointed out in communion today. Impossible is not a word God says. Done is what He says. I can do it. I can shift it. I can change it. I can turn it around. I'm just waiting for faithful people to start to begin to pray, begin to ask, begin to flock to where I am, even if it's difficult, even if it's hard. I will be there. If you, I'm, what is Jesus waiting to see? Verse 5, He's waiting to see faith. When he saw, not the man's faith, the friend's faith. You know what? This is so important that we're in the house of God. You might be like that man when you walk into church. You may be broken. You may need help. But the faith of the room could be what brings the breakthrough for you. The faith of others. This is why we need each other. This is why we cannot be Christians and be separate from a community or a house of God. We need each other. We so desperately need to be uplifted, encouraged, and strengthened by others who maybe they're on mountaintop while we're in valley. Maybe we're, and, 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 and obviously vice versa as well. The second thing I want to say to us this morning is this. Jesus sees all. Jesus saw their faith. 
How did he see it? He saw their action, but he also saw their heart. How do we know that? It's because he saw the hearts of the Pharisees. Jesus sees all. Let the fear of God hit you in this moment. He sees all. Why am I saying this? I say that to say this. Give up. Lean into God. If you have doubt, Jesus sees it. Not in a domineering, aggressive way. He sees it and He wants to heal it. He wants to release it off you. Don't don't wait to come to a conclusion within yourself. Activate your faith. God sees it. He's not naive to your doubt. He's not naive to the questions that you have. He's not naive to um, the disappointment that you may have with Him or, or the church or the people of God. God sees it. And so therefore I say to you lovingly, give up. Give in to the presence of God. It is so good. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what you need right now in this moment. And the last thing is this. I've never seen this before. I've I've read this story. I've preached it a few times. Verse 12, if we could have it on the screen. Remember, it was the faith of the friends that Jesus saw. Jesus turns to the man and says, rise, pick up your mat and walk. I've never seen this before. And he rose. The paralytic man actually had a moment where he needed to decide, am I going to stay here or am I going to activate this? From what we understand, he didn't really come in faith. Possibly he could have been like, oh, why are you guys carrying me to this place? I don't even want to be here. But he actually had a moment where he had to choose his own faith. What am I saying? The faith of others will only get you so far. There's actually a moment where you need to have your own personal conviction that Jesus is who He says that He is. That He loves me and He has ultimate authority. Therefore, He can do anything for me. Anything that's impossible. Anything that you're questioning, worrying about. God could come with an answer in a moment. And faith first starts not in belief, but actually in openness of heart. Because doubt is a closed heart. It's a hard heart. But the journey from here to here, is the in-between is you opening your heart. And the moment you do, God's like, yes, there it is. And He actually bestows the gift of faith to us. It's actually, it's, it's, it's partnering with Him. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning? We have a few moments left before we're going to enjoy a great celebration this morning outside. But before we do that, there was another celebration in this story. This miracle of both an internal and an external healing was celebrated. What did they say? We've never seen anything like this before. And they left glorifying God. And so I think it's only appropriate for us this morning to glorify God, to honor Him, to thank Him.